You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Here's Nate. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 1. Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Now, here the proverb is saying that integrity should always be chosen no matter the outcome, even if it leads to poverty. That's really the idea. It's better to be poor and walk in your integrity than be crooked in speech and be a fool. What you want more than anything is to hold fast to your integrity. And too often, when we think about our actions, we think about what we assess the outcome to be. But the reality is that no matter the outcome, it is better to choose a life of integrity, even if that outcome leads to poverty. Verse 2, desire without knowledge is not good. And whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. What's being said here is that passion or desire and haste without knowledge is futile. So impulsivity is not generally a helpful thing. That's what this proverb seems to be communicating, that it's better to be slow, that it's better to be thoughtful. Now, passion is not necessarily a negative mood or emotion. The reality is, is that passion can be a beautiful thing, but the best passion is the passion that comes from knowledge, but is not without knowledge. Now, verse 3, he goes on to say, When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. Here, what you see is a progression. Step one is folly. Step two is ruin. And the question, of course, is what will step three end up being? You know, for a believer who enters into some folly, you would expect that the folly would be step one, the ruin would be step two, some kind of consequence for their actions. But then through repentance and sorrow, there would come rushing into their lives the grace of God. And, of course, that would lead them to restoration and health. So step one would be folly, step two would be ruin, and step three would be restoration. But here, the fool has step three as rage against the Lord. Where there should have been sorrow and where there should have been repentance for sin, unfortunately, there is often anger and rage against God. It's fascinating how often people will blame God rather than themselves. And this is sad inside the body of Christ. Wealth, verse 4, brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Now, this is one of those proverbs that is merely an observation from life. One of the effects of wealth, the proverb is saying, is that many people surround the wealthy. Perhaps what they're hoping for is for their slice of the pie, that their life will be benefited because they are around a wealthy person. 
Now, we will have a few Proverbs like these in the verses which follow. Proverbs which simply state an observation from society. There's not necessarily anything to do about the proverb unless as you look at it and you realize that it is negative in nature. For instance, in verse 4, if you realize that you have tried to befriend someone merely because they are wealthy, then you are to allow the gospel to correct your heart because the Lord shows, and we see this in the cross of Christ, no partiality. And so as you have thought and tried to make friends with partiality, allow the gospel to wash you of that experience. So as we look at these observations from society, if there's something in your heart that must be corrected by the Lord, allow it to take place. Now in verse 5, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will not escape. The idea here is that in general, and again, that's what the Proverbs are by way of reminder. These are general truths here on earth. The general truth here on earth is that perjury will not go unpunished. God sees it. Now, this is a general truth here, but it's important for us to understand that it is a universal, always true concept eternally. In other words, there are times where someone will lie or perjure themselves here on earth, but it will go unpunished. It will be uncaught. It will be unseen. It will be unknown, but it is always known by the living God, and it will always be judged eternally. Verse 6, many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. Again, this is another societal observation. People love generous people. Now, it's not real, true agape love. It's it's the love of, of the benefit that comes from knowing generous people. Now, like money, this proverb is neither good nor evil. It is simply true. It's, it's how you use it that will be good or evil. So, think about your generosity. You can use it in a way that is manipulative or in a way that is abusive, or you could see someone else's generosity and allow your heart to be corrupted by knowing that they are generous people. Or you can simply praise God for their generosity, and you can simply use your generosity for good and great things, not for self and vain glory, but for the glory and the kingdom of God. All, verse 7, a man's brothers hate him, how much more do his friends go far from him? He pursues them with words, but does not have them. This proverb speaks of the general sadness that is attached to poverty. Notice that our poor man cannot find friends like the generous gift-giving man of verse 6. Even his own brothers, it says, they hate him. He's repulsive to them. Now, the beautiful thing is that Jesus came as a poor working carpenter. He identifies with the poor, becoming a friend and a brother to that working or even impoverished class. When Jesus came, he opened the scroll of Isaiah in his hometown synagogue and said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And, of course, that good news is 
good news to the poor in spirit, but in a sense, it is good news to those who are literally poor because there's the understanding that they will not be poor forever because of the glorious future found in Jesus Christ. Whoever, verse 8, gets sense, loves his own soul. He who keeps understanding will discover good. The idea of getting sense here is translated gets wisdom in other versions. And so what he's saying here is that it is of great personal benefit to live out wisdom. It isn't just a harsh, sacrificial life, you know, painful, filled with drudgery and self-denial. No, the Christian life is a wise life. It is the best life. That's what he's saying. This life that God gives to us in his word that he designs for us. You love your own soul. You're going to discover good as you live it out. You know, when Jesus invited us to love him by keeping his commandments, he was not inviting us into a harsh experience, but the best experience in all of life. Verse 9, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will perish. Now, this is nearly identical to verse 5, but the end result is different. Uh, there, the perjurer would not escape, but here they would perish. So the same concept, but said in different ways. So this is serious enough of a problem that it's repeated here in the Proverbs. The, the idea of lying inside of the justice system of a nation. It is not fitting, verse 10, for a fool to live in luxury, much less for a slave to rule over princes. What's being said here is that one of the most distasteful realities in society is when the wrong people are in luxury or in power. Now, in the body of Christ, what we understand is that character is so important. And so if the Lord puts us in a place of power, or if the Lord blesses us with any form of luxury, we want to be able to navigate those waters with the good and Christ-like character of a servant laying down our lives for those around us. Good sense, verse 11, makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. You see, God is also slow to anger. And God is forgiving in that he overlooks offenses. And we know this as we look to the cross of Christ. So our desire is to let God's nature work into us. Since he is slow to anger and since he overlooks offenses, we want to be the same way. This is where, as a believer, it is all important for us to enjoy a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and to study his word. Because Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, that we all with an unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, that's Jesus, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So this progressive sanctification that the Christian is on occurs when they behold the glory of the Lord. This comes, he says, from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So if we want that God-likeness, that Christ-likeness to invade our bones, we must spend time with 
the Lord and we will become more slow to anger and able to overlook an offense. A king's wrath, verse 12, is like the growling of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. You know, this is just true of people in power. You know, because of his position, the idea here is that a king can terrorize or refresh. If he is wrathful and angry, terror comes like the growling of a lion. If he is gracious and favorable, refreshment comes like dew on the grass. So this is a great leadership principle. You know, because parents and pastors and managers and business owners and coaches and teachers, people all over the spectrum of society who are in leadership of other people need to understand that their countenance impacts the environment. Here you have a king who his wrath is like the growling of a lion, but his favor, man, it brings life like dew on the grass. So our disposition and our position uh, enables us to influence either negatively or positively the people around us. A foolish son, verse 13, is ruined to his father, and a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. Here, foolish sons and quarreling wives are both said to destroy a home. Now, this is going to be the first of five references in Proverbs to a quarrelsome wife. And it's not for us to think that the Proverbs are merely picking on women. Uh, the, the idea here is that the Proverbs in general are written from a king to his son. So it would stand to reason when considering his future family that the father, the king, would warn his son, who is male, about the potential of a quarrelsome wife. But if he was writing this to his daughter, then he would warn his daughter about a quarrelsome husband. So we should not think of the Proverbs as thinking of women as people who are more prone to being shrill or quarrelsome or something like that, but just understand who the original audience is and how that would color the way the Proverbs would be written. Verse 14, house and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. She is quite a change from the verse 13 quarrelsome wife. She instead, this prudent wife, she's sensible. And she is understanding. Uh, he says, you might even get a house of wealth in your inheritance, but only the Lord can give you a good marriage. Amen. I mean, that's the reality. Uh, if you have a good marriage, uh, you must credit the Lord. And if you long to be married, you must seek the Lord and ask him to bless you with a good spouse. Because, uh, look, a house and wealth, you might inherit that. Or you might work for that. But the reality is a God-fearing spouse, a prudent wife or a prudent husband, that comes from the Lord. Slothfulness, verse 15, casts into a deep sleep and an idle person will suffer hunger. In other words, deep sleep is complete inactivity. And complete inactivity comes by sloth and idleness.
So when a person is slothful, when a person is idle, they just don't get anywhere. They don't move the needle. They don't make progress. Their life is a life where they are in a deep sleep. Whoever, verse 16, keeps the commandment, keeps his life. He who despises his ways will die. The idea here is that to obey God's word, keep the commandment, is to receive life. You know, if you reject the commandment, if you despise the ways of God, then death is yours. Now, the word for keeps in keeping the commandment is a Hebrew word that means guard. So the idea here is that of guarding or protecting or defending the word of God in your heart, keeping it close to your heart, making it something that you are guarding, that you are continually in and involved with, that you are meditating upon. Whoever, verse 16, keeps the commandment, keeps his life. He who despises his ways will die. So just a beautiful proverb. Whoever, verse 17, is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. This is, of course, the concept of sowing and reaping that is found all throughout the Old Testament, but is also reiterated in the New Testament. And here, the concept is attached to generosity. When someone is generous to the poor, they are lending to the Lord, and God will repay them for that deed. In 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 through 8, Paul talks about sowing sparingly and also reaping sparingly. And those who sow bountifully also reaping bountifully. And he's talking about that concept within the context of financial generosity. And so when you're able to open up your heart and be generous to the poor, you are actually lending to the Lord and he will repay you for your deed. Disciple your son, verse 18, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Now, there's nothing funny about the idea of putting a son to death, but the proverb is so blunt, it appears humorous at first glance. Discipline your child, there's hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Now, of course, the Christian father and mother long to bring discipline into the lives of their children. It's fascinating, of course, that of all of the things that are commanded to believing children in the letters of Paul to the church, the one thing that is stated is that children, Ephesians 6 verse 1, must obey their parents in the Lord for this is right. You see, learning obedience and learning discipline prepares a person for adulthood like nothing else. Because if you don't know how to bend your will to the will of another, you'll have such a difficult time navigating the educational system, budgeting your finances, being a good friend, entering into a reciprocal serving one another kind of marriage, being beneficial to your local church. If you do not know how to experience discipline and to obey and come under, you'll have such a difficult time in life. So 
What he's saying here is, hey, do the work of discipline. There is hope. Don't get angry. Don't be out of control with your discipline, but discipline them and you will reap the benefits in the future. A man of great wrath, verse 19, will pay the penalty for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. This proverb warns of the danger of removing the penalty from a person of great wrath. Uh, so this is a great word for parenting, actually. Uh, you know, the idea that we are tempted so often to remove the consequences from our children's actions. But he's saying, look, if you deliver him, you'll have to do it again. So in a sense, what we're to understand is that consequences are God's grace too. Listen, verse 20, to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. In other words, if you listen to wisdom, you accept instruction, you listen to advice. If you listen to wisdom now, you will be considered wise in the future. In other words, this library of wisdom will be built in your life and a day will come uh, where you will have attained that wisdom. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, verse 21, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Uh, this is again a verse about or a proverb about a constant theme throughout the Proverbs, the sovereignty of God. And here we learn that humans are diverse and uncertain Many are the plans in the mind of man, but God is absolutely wise and sure. It is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Verse 22, what is desired in a man is steadfast love. And a poor man is better than a liar. So steadfast love, just loyalty and truthfulness. Man, when you find someone in your life that is like this, they are an absolute treasure. And so the idea of being a person who, even if it takes poverty to be loyal and truthful, you cling to that poverty because you want to be a person who has character deep within. The fear of the Lord, verse 23, leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. When the fear of the Lord is amongst God's people, there's great life. God just does wonderful things amongst a community that has the fear of the Lord. And that's what's being said in this proverb. The fear of the Lord leads to life. I was teaching recently our staff in the church that I pastor, Calvary Monterey. And we were looking in the book of Haggai when the people were being urged by the prophets to rebuild the temple. And through that prophetic utterance and exhortation, it says, and the people feared the Lord. And that fear led them to do the work of rebuilding. You see, God is able to work and move amongst his people when the fear of the Lord is present. I always rejoice when I find a young man or a young woman in whom the fear of the Lord is present. A reverence for God, a respect for God that keeps them from such error and sin. The sluggard, verse 24, buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. Again here, humor is used to describe the sluggard. He can't even bring his hand up to his mouth to bring his food from the dish. 
you know, he's prepared the food, he's gotten it ready, but he can't, he's too lazy to even get it into his mouth. Many say that this speaks of the unfinished projects of the lazy person. They just can't finish. They can't get to the end. Strike a scoffer, verse 25, and the simple will learn prudence. Reprove a man of understanding, and he will gain knowledge. So whereas flogging is needed for scoffers and the simple, a mere verbal rebuke is enough for a man of understanding. He, verse 26, who does violence to his father and chases away his mother is a son who brings shame and reproach. You know, mankind is so entrenched in evil that this verse is even possible. Violence to fathers and chasing away mothers. What this speaks of is physical, emotional, or financial or otherwise abuse. Taking advantage of parents in their old age or stealing from them or grieving them with sin and anger and venom. And that person who would violently treat their father or chase away their mother they bring shame and they bring reproach. It's very important that we be a people who honor our father and mother. Cease, verse 27, to hear instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. Now, of course, the exhortation here is not to, hey, cease hearing instruction, but, but it's a statement. It's if you do this, you will stray from the words of knowledge. If you stop listening to instruction, you will stray from the words of knowledge. You see, the idea here is that wisdom and knowledge are not static, but progressive. This is where so many people make a huge mistake in their interaction with the body of Christ. They think that if I've wrestled with the material in the past. I do not need to wrestle with the material in my present or in the future. But the reality is that once you stop growing, once you stop learning, once you stop listening and stop interacting with God in his word, once you cease hearing that instruction, you will stray. It's not just that the instruction gets in there and then you stay on the straight and narrow. No, you must continue to hear the instruction in order to remain on the path the Lord has for you. So we must continue on in the wisdom of Christ for all, for the duration of our lives. A worthless witness, verse 27, mocks at justice and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. Uh, so here, the worthless witness who devours iniquity, what's being said is they consume what they say. You know, they're saying lies, they're mocking at justice, and they're actually devouring that sin. Finally, verse 29, condemnation is ready for scoffers and beating for the back of fools. Uh, you can hear the heart of a father in all of these proverbs, and in this one in particular, he's saying, look, son, a tough life is coming. A painful life is coming. Should you choose not to enter into wisdom? 
Condemnation is there for you if you're a scoffer. A beating is there for you if you're a fool. This is the heart of a father pleading with his child to receive the wisdom of God. And as he is pleading with his son to receive that wisdom, we can understand that there is a father God in heaven who is pleading with us. Receive my wisdom. Build your life, not upon the shifting sands, but upon the rock of my word. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.